Welcome back to another episode of Unjustly, a true crime podcast focusing on social injustices. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hey, everyone. Awesome. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that reminds me. I have a confession to make. Um, Hamilton has consumed my entire life. Mm-hmm. As it should. I agree it should. <laughs> I don't feel guilty that it's consumed my life. I found a shirt recently that says, um, Hamilton lyrics has consumed my thoughts. <laughs> and I have to say, my husband has been listening to it every single day since July 3rd when they released <laughs> mm-hmm. on Disney+. Plus. Um, we have the soundtrack on every single day mm-hmm. in the kitchen. Um, and not the soundtrack like the... Um, like artists who do covers on it. It's the no. legit play soundtrack. Yeah. Like, yeah. When I say we play the soundtrack, people are like, oh yeah, I love the one by Alicia Keys. I was like, no, 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 no you're no, doing no. it wrong. The original, you listen to the play. So basically we listen to the whole play uh-huh. on the music thing and then we watch it Yeah. <laughs> also mm-hmm. on Disney+. Plus. Um, but it's gotten to the point, so we all know the lyrics. Uh, my daughter too, she knows every single lyric. She bas- basically, if anyone decides to bring the play back... <laughs> If they want to fill the actors with random normal people, um, we could play any part <laughs> that you want us to play, literally, uh, interchangeably, the three of us. Not that great, but we can do it. Um, and it's gotten to the point where now Gabe answers me in Hamilton quotes. I was going to say that that just <laughs> happened with Tim and I, I think, <laughs> yesterday. I can't remember what I said but his response was a Hamilton lyric. And uh-huh. then I responded back with like the rest of that, like that yeah. sentence or whatever. And then at the end, we just started singing Helpless. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a normal uh-huh. everyday yeah. time. Yeah. So um, he went one whole day with only singing Hamilton lyrics <laughs> and he nailed it. It was, it was beautifully orchestrated. Um, he knows Hamilton so well that he can pick any like random quote to make it fit whatever uh-huh. answer he needs uh-huh. to give. That's awesome. Um, it's, it's really amazing. Um, so I was hoping to do the same and I was like, oh, I'm going to do it for the podcast. I'm going to answer in Hamilton quotes, <laughs> which is why I did the awesome wow. But I think that's uh-huh. the extent <laughs> of what I'm able to do. <laughs> awesome. Wow. I think that's yeah. it. King George. Yeah. You're the best. Um, mm-hmm. So now I'm kind of sad because I don't think I can be as funny as he is with that. He's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, with our daughter, Ellie, she's a terrible sleeper and we have to be like quarantined with her 24 seven because we don't want to put her in daycare. So we have to work from home with her. And he keeps telling her, he's like, you're the Aaron Burr of babies, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, what? Yeah. So um, I hope I can bring a few other Hamilton quotes eventually. Mm-hmm. So if you catch them, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'll just love them so much. We're Hamill fans. <laughs> yeah, uh, 100%. Hamill so, family. Hamill family. <laughs> that's what we are. Thanks. Uh-huh. All right. That's yeah. the episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. All right. Um, so this is our second episode on the Innocent or Guilty edition of the podcast that I started last week, where <laughs> <laughs> I hope I don't start too many things, but mm, bear with me. Um, so we're going to be presenting a case of someone who is currently in prison and claiming they are wrongfully convicted. Uh, we are going to look over the evidence together. We'll say what our opinion is, but ultimately we want you as listeners to come to your own conclusions on whether they are innocent or guilty and let us know what you think. Essentially, we'll be the fake jury. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode on Free Ray Gray, don't forget to do so as that was a really good case to kick off this new segment. 
Um, But this week, we will be talking about the potentially wrongful conviction of Michael David Roy. This one is a tough one. There's a lot of players in the game and a few twists and turns, so you're going to want to listen closely. So I got my sources from two articles in The Southern, one by Tara Fassel and another by Bethany Kragilis. Um, I want to note that each article was literally like one paragraph long. <laughs> <laughs> what an article. Yay. Uh, the rest of my information came from conversations with Michael Roy's niece, Heather Navarro, and documents that I reviewed from the case, such as police reports, testimonies, the coroner's report, uh, field notes, and evidence reports, um, a bunch of reports. (laughs) Research for this episode took up the majority of my time the past two weeks. Um, it's, it was a lot to go through. I spent dozens of hours reading reports, um, and it completely consumed me. It took over everything. Um, (laughs) I basically, have you seen those shows like the true crime shows where there's an investigator and he has like pictures all over his desk <laughs> yeah. and like reports and all this stuff. And he's With like constantly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's constantly going back over and over. I felt like that was me. And every time I came across like a new piece of evidence or a new, um, eyewitness testimony, I was like to my husband, I was like, Gabe, so-and-so said this, like, does this even make sense? <laughs> and he was like, what are we talking about? And I'm like, you know, the, the Roy case, you know, so-and-so said this and then, but he said that, like, what, would someone even say something like that? And he's like, I, I mean, I maybe, I don't know. Did you <laughs> respond like, with the Hamilton song? What? <laughs> awesome. Wow. <laughs> I got to come up with a new <laughs> Hamilton line. We should just bring him in here to get some yeah. Hamilton lines. Dang it. Um, no, but poor thing. I, I kept trying to like bounce off ideas from him with this. And it's just really hard because there's so much to this without Mm -hmm. him knowing everything. So I hope I do this correctly, but um, I'll do my best to like go in order. And then at the end of it, I'm going to summarize it to kind of piece everything together. Mm -hmm. So it'll make a little bit more sense, hopefully. So in October 2007, 26-year-old Casey Morgan, mother of a young infant, was stabbed and murdered in her home in Steelville, Illinois. Her boyfriend and father of her son, Ron Burmeister, also lived in the home with her at the time. That morning, Michael David Roy was the person who called 911. Neighbors described her as a sweet and friendly person who loved her son and took very good care of him. They said she will be remembered for her smiling face and cheerful presence. Later that night, Roy was charged with three counts of first-degree murder and obstruction of justice. He was eventually found guilty. Morgan and Roy were co-workers at the Spartan Light Metals. Morgan and Roy also had um, recently been dating while she was still with her live-in boyfriend. Friends stated that Morgan had broken up with Roy a few weeks prior, um, but they were still good friends. So that's literally all the information that I was able to find online about the case, about from the articles. Um, The rest of the information came from my conversations with Michael's niece, like I said, um, and the documents that I reviewed from the case. So she was having an affair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is a quick summary of the case, which is written in his change.org petition for his release, which Heather wrote. It says, Michael David Roy was wrongfully convicted of the murder of Casey Morgan. There is evidence to support that Michael is innocent. No murder weapon was found. Casey had the semen of Ron Burmeister in her body. A time of death was not established. Hair found in the hands of Casey Morgan was never tested to identify her real attacker. Casey's fingernail clippings were never tested for the DNA of her attacker after she fought her attacker to her death. 
Casey and Ron Burmeister had a long-standing history of domestic violence, and Ron Burmeister also has a long criminal history. Michael Roy is an Army veteran with no criminal history. Burmeister lied repeatedly to investigators with the Illinois State Police, and they failed to investigate this case to the fullest capacity. So that's from his change.org petition, just to give you a little summary of what we're about to dive into. Uh, so I spent a ton of hours reading through all the reports. Um, like I said, the witness testimonies, field reports, evidence reports, and analysis, and everything that Heather was able to provide for me. Um, so this is what I gathered. Uh, one thing that I want to note that I did not have was the transcript from the trial. Heather does have that. However, it's like 700 pages long. Um, so not only would it have been a hassle for her to figure out how to send that to me, but I wouldn't even have the time to yeah, read to go over all of that. Pages. Already, this was dozens and dozens and dozens of pages of all the other stuff. So it took me forever to go through that. So sorry I didn't go through um, the actual transcript of the trial, um, but I do have information of things that happened from the trial. I do have little tidbits that I'll add later. So this is what happened. On October 5th, 2007, Michael David Roy arrived at the home of his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Casey Morgan. Roy found Morgan lying on the floor of the baby's room with multiple stab wounds and her throat cut, along with her baby screaming in his crib. Roy then attempted to close her throat wound and called 911. When police arrived, they took Roy to the police station for questioning and refused his request for counsel and questioned him for the remainder of the day until charges were pressed that evening. The video of Roy being interviewed malfunctioned periodically throughout the day. According to police, they believe that Roy showed up to Morgan's house that morning after Burmeister left for work and killed her before calling 911. His niece, Heather, says, nope, Burmeister might have done it and Roy has been wrongfully convicted. At some point, Heather's family received a letter from an inmate that served with a known associate of Burmeister. She sent this letter to the attorney that defended Roy, who said that he would forward it to the sheriff's department. So she did send me a picture of the handwritten letter um, for me to read. Now, in the letter, he starts by identifying himself. He includes his full name and prison ID number, but I'm just going to refer to him by his last name, Taylor. I did look up his name and record number in the Illinois Department of Correction inmate um, search, and he is a real person. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so Taylor says that for a period of time, he was cellmates with Clifton Bardo, who Taylor claims is a self-centered narcissistic criminal. Side note, I just want to mention that Taylor is also in prison for murder. So he told Taylor about a few crimes he had committed, but also confessed that his best friend, Ron Burmeister, had killed Casey Morgan and called her a coke whore who deserved it. He also admitted to knowing that David Roy was wrongfully convicted for it. So I have always been very vocal about my disdain for snitch testimonies. We've gone over this in a few other episodes. Because snitches get stitches. Mm-hmm. But Taylor did close out his letter by saying that he was not providing the information in attempts to gain anything, but he just wanted justice for Casey Morgan. All right, so let's look at the evidence. I read the coroner's report, which said she had multiple stab wounds to her chest and neck and defensive wounds on her hands and was found only wearing a bra. Her throat was also slit. Heather pointed out that her fingernails were never checked out for DNA, and I was never able to find anything that said they did. 
Another really important fact to remember is that Morgan's internal temperature was not checked at the time, um, and so a time of death was never established. There's a written statement included in the coroner's report by a paramedic who was at the scene and said that when he arrived, Roy was pacing the front yard while holding the baby. When the paramedic tended to Roy to make sure he was not injured, Roy asked him if it was okay if he broke down, in which he began crying. While crying, he stated that when he entered the residence, he heard the baby screaming and then he found her on the bedroom floor. He said the last time he saw her was at 1 a.m. when Morgan went to visit Roy. So in this reported statement, Roy genuinely sounds like someone who is grieving, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Um, Roy also stated that he and Morgan had broken up a month earlier and she was sharing the home with her then boyfriend, Burmeister. Roy didn't have a key to the home, but said that Morgan often left the door unlocked so that Roy could enter the home whenever Burmeister would leave for work. Sneaky, sneaky. Mm -hmm. Then we have the blood splatter analysis documents, which did list both Roy and Burmeister as suspects. The blood splatter expert, CSI David Carter, stated that he was not at the original crime scene, but he was given pieces of clothing to analyze. Carter reported that one of Roy's Adidas had blood splatter on it and was caused by impact with a blood source with a certain force or expirated blood, which is blood that is blown out of the nose, mouth, or a wound as a result of air pressure. There was blood on Roy's shirt, which included contact blood stains and swipe patterns, according to Carter. Roy did say that he tried to close Morgan's throat wound. So either way, I think it would be expected that Roy would have blood on him if he tried to help Morgan in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to note that he wasn't like drenched in blood by any means. Um, There is pictures of like a little sketch of his shirt and his pants and his shoes and it shows where the blood splatter is and it's literally just like a few little splatters. It's Mm -hmm. not, I just would imagine if he had committed the crime, he would just be drenched. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're, I'm sorry, but like if you're slitting someone's throat, the like the pressure from like the blood that's like coming mm-hmm. out would be would a think, lot. Yeah, it would be a lot more. Yeah. Someone also noted, and I think it came from his defense team, that he had no blood on his hair. Hmm. So like if it were, you know, blood splattering everywhere, it would be everywhere on him imagine, as well, yeah. not in only certain areas. Mm-hmm. His pants were reported to have contact blood as well, but it also had impact blood splatter and gravitational drops of blood, which means that blood allegedly came from higher up at an angle and fell down onto the portion of the clothing that was stained. So blood splatter evidence is usually accepted as reliable evidence. Um, However, it has been widely questioned as many see it as an unproven forensic I was just going to say that. I mean, how many cases haven't we seen in recent times where Mm -hmm. blood splatter, um, dental, right? Like dental marks used to be treated as evidence too. And all of those things are kind of not being disproved, but they're showing that there's a lot left there could be a lot of error in them. Yes. So I would imagine in something like this, as much as Dexter has taught us that it's a scientific Dexter. fact that blood splatter is a thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. And mm-hmm. especially in something like this where it's, you know, it's kind of, it's hard to say. You would imagine if he had done something like this again, like he would be covered in blood. Right. We all saw what happened with. Oh, the staircase. The staircase where they were like, oh no, like he has blood splatter 
inside of his shorts. So that mm-hmm. means like he did it. But then we ended up finding or they found a video of like the quote unquote blood splatter um expert recreating how it would happen Mm -hmm. and he literally had to do it like a hundred times to To get get it it exactly that way so it's like it's not an exact science exact science um it is important to note that carter created his analysis based only on pictures of the blood he was never at the crime scene um photographs are also notoriously misleading as far as perspective is concerned Mm -hmm. so the only tangible things he had was the shirt the pants and the um, shoes, um, but he never saw the actual crime scene. So he did analysis on, you know, the blood splatter at the crime scene, but that was only based off of pictures, mm-hmm. which we know from Dexter <laughs> <laughs> when he puts the strings everywhere. How yeah. can you come up with anything if you don't even have that? You don't even have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, blood was found on Burmeister's sock belonging to Morgan, but prosecutors claimed it was menstrual blood. Although I couldn't find any reports that said she was menstruating. Ben Parks of the Illinois State Police, who was the chief agent on the case, said he did not know what happened to the rest of the clothing that Burmeister wore uh, to work on October 5th, so that was never tested. That's also so weird. It's like her period blood? On his sock, yeah. How would that have gotten, how would her period blood have dripped down her leg and onto his sock? I don't know. This isn't super bad, people. Like, (laughs) he's not grainy on his sock. Bradley Wolf, an officer on the scene, described on a report what took place while officers were at the crime scene. What I want to point out from that report specifically, though, is that at one point, another officer asks him who lives at the home with Morgan, and Wolf then tells him that Burmeister lives in the home and that a few months prior to the murder, Wolf had arrested Morgan and Burmeister for domestic disturbance and that he had been at the residence on multiple domestic disturbance calls in the past. So there's a history of there's a history of domestic violence. When officers arrived at 755, they noted that the blood had started coagulating and was starting to dry. Remember, we don't have a time of death for Morgan. However, when I looked up how long a pool of blood takes to coagulate and dry, apparently a lot of factors come into play, including environmental factors. So I couldn't form an opinion on that. Um, But another officer noted that rigor mortis already started to set in, which I read can take a few hours to start. Um, So if it is true that it had already started to set in, then the timeline of her being killed after Burmeister left the home, which was just one hour prior to officers arriving, doesn't Doesn't seem plausible. Mm -hmm. While Roy was being held at the police department, Officer Daniel Niemeyer stated that a newspaper delivery woman um, called in and said that at 4.45 a.m., she observed a black truck parked at an angle with its engine running and lights on in front of Morgan's home. The officer also reported that another female called in and said she may have some information of a potential murder suspect who was planning to flee to California. The officer turned over the information to a special agent. However, it seems like both tips were never pursued. A neighbor of Casey, and I cannot say his name at this time because of a current investigation, um, had stated to a news reporter that at 1.30 a.m. that morning, he saw the lights flickering in Morgan and Burmeister's house. Finally, we have Jason Koth. Koth told detectives that he and Morgan had been seeing each other. And the night before Morgan's murder, Koth stated that after they had come back from a dinner date um, to the place of their employment, 
Roy caught them together in the parking lot of Spartan Light Metals, which upset Roy, and he got into an argument with Morgan. Koth states that Roy was so upset that he quit his job that day. So there's that third player. Mm -hmm. So remember we had said that Morgan had broken up with Roy Mm -hmm. a few weeks prior, but they kept kind of like seeing each other. Well, the night before her murder, it turns out she started dating this other guy, Koth. Mm. And Roy had seen them together and was upset by it. Tracking? Yeah, tracking. Okay. Uh, So let's go over Roy and Burmeister's version of events according to their interviews with detectives. So Sorry, did they interview? They did interview Koth. Yes. They did, okay. Mm -hmm. That's where I got this piece of information. Um, So first we have the summary of Roy's report. On the morning of the murder, Roy was interviewed by Special Agent Ben Parks, Special Agent Stacy Connor, and Master Sergeant Stan Diggs. Roy told the investigators that the night before the murder, he had quit his job where Morgan also worked. Morgan was upset that he had quit, but they didn't fight, according to him. They just had a conversation about it. Roy then visited some friends and left their house around 11.15 p.m. to go to his niece Heather's home. Around midnight, Morgan went to Heather's house to talk to Roy and told him to come over the following morning after Burmeister left as he had done many times in the past. He then spent the rest of the night at Heather's. Roy states that at 6.30 a.m., he showered and had a cigarette. He then went to get a drink at a local convenience store, but went back to Heather's house because he forgot his cigarettes. He then drove to Morgan's house and parked his truck down the street at the Alma Lodge, as he always did when he visited per Morgan's request. He arrived at her home around 7.20 a.m. where he heard the baby crying. He entered the front door and found Morgan on the ground of the baby's room with a gash in her neck. He made a brief phone call to a friend first and then called 911 and tried to cover the neck wound with his hand and to find a pulse. Do we know who he called and why? Yeah, some friends. um, I guess he was scared. Oh. Or stressed. I don't know. It's a little random. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is evidence of him leaving a voicemail with his friends. Um, his, his friends say that he did call them, um, but I couldn't find the transcript of that anywhere of what exactly he said. Okay. When police arrived at 755, Roy was found kneeling next to Morgan's body. He then took the baby outside to wait. So at this point, it is noted that Roy decided to stop the interview and ask for an attorney. It also notes that there was an audio recording of the interview, but that it had malfunctioned and was found to be defective after the interview had stopped. Now, I also want to point out that this interview took four hours, according to the report, but this was the only summary from all that time. So literally everything that I just said, that's the basic summary of a four hour interview. Wow. So there wasn't an exact transcript of what was said. It was just the police summarizing what was Mm -hmm. said. A few hours after this interview, Roy was arrested for the murder. So the only thing I find odd about Roy's statement is how he downplayed what happened at work the night prior, um, where Koth says they got into an argument, but Roy says, no, they were just talking about him quitting. So that was slightly a lie. I guess so, also it's weird that he called his friend before 911. Yeah. His cough works with them too, mm-hmm. or worked with them too. So yes. he saw the like altercation or whatever between Morgan and Roy. Yes. And he's saying there was more 
yes to it than he's alluding to yes but also cough started dating morgan so he could very well be saying that so as there's a other way. eyewitnesses to that oh that conversation say, oh, okay yeah okay fine cough <laughs> we believe you um but basically those are the only two things that i'm kind of like well you know that's kind of odd uh, the time frame of him arriving at the scene at 7.20 a.m. does seem accurate as an officer noted that Roy was caught on video at a convenience store at 7.08 a.m., which was a few blocks away from Morgan's home. So that's not into question, the time frame that he mm-hmm. got there. He got there about 7.20. So then we have Burmeister's interview with detectives. The interview report stated that when Burmeister was told at the police department that Morgan had been killed, he emotionally broke down and started crying. Burmeister stated that he and Morgan had been together for 10 years and had a one-year-old son together. He also admitted that they had a few domestic violence incidents in the past. According to Burmeister, Morgan returned home from work around midnight. He said they had sex and then talked about possibly having another child, which Morgan was in favor of. So I have a problem with this statement slightly. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it weird that he thought it was necessary to bring up the fact that they had talked about um, expanding their family and having another child. Mm -hmm. I think that's a kind of a random thing um, to bring up. Kind of like he's trying to insinuate like they were fine. Things were good. Yeah, they were going to continue growing a family. Um, she had been casually dating Roy though, and had just gone on a date with Koth that night, but yet she, according to Burmeister, she still came home to tell him that she wanted to have another baby with him. Mm-hmm. It just sounds, sounds a little odd to me. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so then they went to bed around 1am and Morgan went to sleep wearing only a bra, which was how she was found the next day. Burmeister reported um, that the day of the murder, he woke up. Wait, I'm sorry. Yes. She went to sleep in only a bra. So I thought that was weird, too. <laughs> I don't know anyone that just goes to sleep in just a bra. If anything, they would go to sleep with everything but a bra. But I, or I, I like, don't want to like completely naked. But the weirder thing or the thing that kind of like caught my attention just mm-hmm. now is the fact that they said that he had period blood on her on yeah. his sock but then they but have sex she, that day well not, not only did they have sex and stuff but like she went to sleep without a without underwear presumably mm-hmm. and there's like no leakage on the bed but somehow he had period blood on his sock oh. like that doesn't add up to me like how do you yeah. go like i understand like maybe there was no leakage maybe she had a super tampon on i don't know but like how do you not have any leakage on the bed and there's nothing on the bed that shows that there she was on her period but mm-hmm. somehow he ended up getting Some a drop of blood on his sock that's a good observation that doesn't, that doesn't that's super weird i agree i didn't even think about that okay um so burmeister reported that the day of the murder he woke up around 6 30 a.m and got ready for work He kissed Morgan goodbye and left through the front door, which he said he left unlocked as he routinely does. Video surveillance catches Burmeister arriving at a convenience store at 6.55 a.m., which is just a couple minutes away from the house. And then he went to work. When Burmeister was asked if anything unusual had occurred recently, he admitted that a coworker had told him that Morgan was dating a guy with a dark-colored Ford truck. Burmeister said he didn't want to know his name because he would probably physically beat him up, 
which he has done so in the past with another man that Morgan was dating. He then said a man called not too long prior at 1.30 in the morning saying he was Morgan's boyfriend. There was also another incident where a white male came to the home at 1.30 a.m. looking for Morgan, but when the male saw Burmeister come to the door, he ran away. Burmeister chased him and saw him get into a green Ford pickup truck and now suspects that the male was Roy. He said Morgan denied knowing who he was. So Roy has a dark green Ford pickup truck. Burmeister also said that he and Morgan had gotten in a few fights over his ex-girlfriend, Michelle Stone. The prior summer, Burmeister says they had temporarily split up and he started dating Stone. Stone became pregnant and claimed it was his, although he wasn't sure. Stone and Morgan both gave birth to their children around the same time. So coincidentally, the day before the murder, Stone called Burmeister while he was at work and they got into an argument because Stone was calling Morgan at her workplace and causing problems. Hmm. So when I learned about Michelle Stone, I immediately was like, oh my God, she could be a potential suspect. But since I didn't see her on any of the police reports or interviews, I figured maybe she had a good alibi. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it was just left alone. Um, but then I saw on an online news article about the case, um, you know how sometimes you can leave like a comment mm -hmm. at the bottom of yeah. it? Uh, well, Michelle Stone commented on one of them and said, it's kind of pointless to post anything here at this point. It's been years since all this happened. I wish there was a way I could find the trial records on this case because I should have been a witness or a person of interest. I was never questioned or even contacted by any police or attorneys. Casey and I were pregnant with our children at the same time, and both of our children were fathered by the same man. I just think there is a lot more that should have been looked into. I wish I had some answers because I will go to sleep every night for the rest of my life wondering if my child's father may have had something to do with Casey's murder. Damn. Yep. So it sounds like they never even interviewed her, even though Burmeister had mentioned her in his interview. There's no way to know, but is there any chance that he did know that she was, that Morgan was seeing um, Roy and that he knew he drove that kind of truck because it's kind of like coincidental, I guess that like he is telling them like, Oh, I've seen this truck. This truck mm -hmm. has pulled up. Like I came to the door and then that the cops now have that information and they're like, they could potentially be looking for someone with this like green truck that he just so happened to know like, Oh, I know she's seeing him mm -hmm. because from what it sounds like they had their plan pretty well like locked down like yeah. he knew to park a block away yeah he knew only to come at certain times mm -hmm. like i think it's kind of random that like one day he suddenly shows up at 1 30 knowing he's going to be there and oh so you're saying maybe he made that up to make it sound like Roy yeah was like kind of pointing, some, pointing the, the cops in the wrong direction right. because he's like well it the obvious person is me we've had domestic violence issues, right. you know, like there's all this other stuff going on. I, you know, I would probably be the main suspect. So like maybe if I throw this in there, yeah. they'll start looking at someone else. I can do that. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Um, so the police not interviewing Stone at least proves that they weren't thoroughly investigating right. everything at the very least is what it proves. Um, so there was an additional comment in that news article in response to Stone, and she said, 
I guarantee your child's father was a person who did this. It would have not done much good for you to come forward. I gave several names and spent much time looking up addresses and doing my own investigating and handed it over to the defense. And I was told by them that they didn't want to look desperate. And now an innocent man is sitting in prison for the rest of his life. I have the information you're looking for. The man that is sitting in prison for this could have easily walked away, but instead he called 911. And now I've heard so many times that Burmeister has bragged about doing it. The Illinois State Police were looking for a quick close to the case. Do we know who that is? No. Oh. Well, there was a name attached to it, um, but it was written in because it wasn't um, published. So I'm not going to say the name. I also want to note that in a second interview that Burmeister had with police, the investigator asked him what he did after he left the police station the first time, the day of the murder. He said that he went to the store and then went out to have lunch with his mom. So everyone grieves differently. I understand that. So I know it's hard to judge what someone does after they lose someone, but it does sound a little odd that he (laughs) went to the store to like buy something. Uh, he, he didn't stay the night at the house, though. He did stay at a hotel that night, so he okay. didn't go back. I don't know if they would have let him because it's technically it's a, crime a crime scene, scene, but he did make note that he went to the hotel. Okay. So finally, we have witness statements to police. The day of the murder, detectives interviewed Spartan Light Metal foreman Bill Reed, who stated that at work the day prior, he observed Roy approach Morgan, who was in Koth's car, and stated what looked like an argument. When Reed confronted Roy about taking a long break, he said Roy had tears in his eyes and had um, and said he was going through a lot and would return soon. According to Reed, Roy clocked out at 5.52 p.m. and never returned back to work. In some of the field notes written by detectives, it showed that some coworkers were stating that Roy had been telling them he was dating Morgan. However, Morgan would say that they had already broken up and were just friends. One coworker said Roy was an unstable person. However, another coworker said that Burmeister was a heavy Coke user, which is interesting because that comment, yeah, the snitch testimony said that he called her Morgan a Coke whore. Mm-hmm. Mm. So again, I just feel like a lot of the things he's doing, he's like setting up someone else. Yeah. Or like, like, oh, I'm a heavy Coke user, so. Like, it just came to him. Like, that's, like, because it's something that he's familiar with. So Mm -hmm. he's, like, oh, no, to, like, he'll tell the snitch, like, oh, she's, like, a heavy coke user. But Mm -hmm. really, it's, like, he's talking about himself. He's a heavy coke user. And he's a whore, probably. A friend of both Morgan and Burmeister, her name is Courtney, told police that she saw Morgan four days prior to the murder. She said that Morgan and Burmeister were more like roommates and Burmeister was waiting for Morgan to move out and she was hoping to move closer to her parents. She said that Burmeister had told her in the past that Morgan has cheated on him with about five different guys and she has seen them uh, throw stuff at each other. Um, So this contradicts Burmeister's statement that they wanted to grow their family, where she's saying no, they were... She wants to get close to it. She wants to leave, yeah. Mm -hmm. So more things to note. (laughs) At the trial, after the jury retired to deliberate, the foreman of the jury advised the judge that the jury was unable to reach a verdict. The jury was instructed to continue deliberating. Sometime later, the foreman requested that the jury be allowed to see the defendant's interview by the police again. The judge decided that the jury could skip dinner and watch the interview instead. If they wanted to watch the interview, then they they had to skip dinner. Mm -hmm. 
which I'm not sure if that's a common thing for a judge to tell a jury. Um, but I would have assumed that there would be strict guidelines for like breaks and stuff like that. That's my assumption. I've never been on a jury of a murder case. <laughs> um, so at Roy, so basically after that happened, then they came to a conclusion. So at first they were like, no, we're, you know, we're undecided. We are kind of, uh, you know, yeah. we can't come up with a, a situation of if we believe for sure he's guilty. And so then that's when the judge is like, you can watch this. You're going to skip dinner. So they had to continue. And then that's when they made the decision. The after Juries that. are kind of a crazy thing too, because there's been a lot of like documentaries I've seen where they like, will end up talking to people who were on certain juries mm-hmm. where it was like a close call like this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's like, yeah, you know, it really did just come down to like, I wanted to get out already. Like yeah. I did, like I was tired of being there. The conditions aren't the best. I missed my family. I missed, you know, just like my normal life. I think OJ was a big one where they're, mm. they, because they were sequestered. They were, yeah. For like they six couldn't talk months to anybody. or something like that. And they, again, like they couldn't talk to anyone. They could, they weren't allowed to like watch the news or whatever, even though everybody had already seen everything. Yeah. But it does come down to like pressure like fatigue just like wanting to be back home already Mm -hmm. after a long time so especially with something like this where it's like i'm the last person holding out or whatever the case is like they do get pressure from the other juries like dude you need to turn it around because we we want to get out yeah we want to go home so at roy's sentencing after he was convicted francis morgan the victim's father testified that at the time of Morgan's death, he was trying to help her get away from Ron Burmeister due to the violent nature of their relationship. So, quick recap of the case with a timeline in case you were lost. Okay, so Morgan and Burmeister were together for 10 years and lived together with a one-year-old son. They both had a history of affairs and domestic violence. Morgan was dating Roy, her coworker, for a few months, but possibly broke it off, although they continued to see each other. Roy would often go over to Morgan's home after Burmeister left for work. The night before the murder, Roy was very upset for catching Morgan with Koth, um, who she had also been dating, or she had just started dating. Mm-hmm. Roy was seen arguing with her, teary-eyed, and never came back to work. Also, the day before the murder, Burmeister receives a call from Stone, who he also has a child with, and they get into an argument because she was harassing Morgan. That night, Morgan allegedly told Roy to come over the next morning as usual, and then allegedly goes home to have sex with Burmeister and tells him she wants to have more kids with him. The day of the murder, Burmeister leaves the home at 6.45 a.m. Roy arrives at 7.20 a.m., and Morgan is dead. He calls his friend first and then calls 911. Police arrive at 7.55 a.m. So if Roy did it, that means he had like a 20-minute window to commit the crime before calling 911. But the blood was almost starting to dry. Yeah. And possibly rigor mortis was already setting, setting in, in, according to one of the officers. Which takes time. It yeah. doesn't set in right away. doesn't take 20 minutes. So let's go over possible motives. If it was Roy, many people said he was very in love with her and even wanted to propose to her. He could have been getting increasingly jealous that she was still with Burmeister and with um, with him catching her with cloth, it could have set him off and would have killed her in the heat of passion. Maybe he quickly regretted it after, which is why he called 911 and broke down crying after. But according to an affidavit from his defense, it did state that although Roy was hurt that Morgan went to lunch with another man, 
when the defendant was already sharing her with Burmeister. That's exactly what I was mm-hmm. going to say. Like he knew what he was signing up for, or mm-hmm. what he was signed up for and he's been doing it for however long they were dating. So it's like, I feel like he wouldn't, not that he wouldn't have a problem, but like he's already, like you said, sharing her with yeah. someone it else. It wouldn't have been like the, the end all be all. Yeah. Um, also, nothing suggested that the defendant was so angry that he would have still been enraged the following morning um, because a lot of his other friends who saw Roy that night um, said that Roy was sad about it, but he wasn't like enraged or like so angry. He was just sad that there's this other guy. Um, so to think that he would have been so angry the next day also doesn't seem his, entirely like he was with his niece who like would be able to kind of shed light on what what he was acting his like what he was state. like i mean like they mm-hmm. were hanging out it doesn't sound like he was in distress or in a panic or yeah. in a, you know feet of anger or whatever yeah so motive for barmeister they had a tumultuous relationship to begin with and both would date other people Burmeister had in the past beaten up a guy Morgan was dating. Um, So it could be that between Burmeister finding out that Morgan was dating other guys again and Stone calling and harassing them and Morgan's friend saying she wanted to move out, it could very well be that they got into a heated argument over all of it and he snapped. So what's your verdict, Steph? From what you've presented now, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem very likely that Roy had a chance to, to do something like that. You know, so... Kind of all road roads go back to Burmeister, mm-hmm. Burmeister, um, which have has had a violent past with her. They're both seeing other people, or like he's she's seeing multiple other people, has seen multiple other people. Like it seems more likely that he would get to a point of like just being so angry that he explodes on her then Roy who's been doing this who has been on and off with her getting to a point where he can't take it any longer mm-hmm. and he just kills her when he doesn't really have the time yeah so right now I think it was her husband the boyfriend the boyfriend sorry and not the lover okay I would say yeah so my personal opinion and again, don't take this as a fact or base your opinion on what I think. Um, but I honestly want our listeners to come to their own conclusions. Um, so I think there is enough doubt in the case against Michael being guilty um, that it's at least worth looking into it again. Do you? Sorry. Yeah. Do you know if they kept any of the nail clippings or the hair that was in her? I hand? don't know. No. It wasn't even mentioned in the coroner's no. report. Because that's crazy to me that they have actual or they had actual DNA evidence that could like confidently point to one person or exclude one person from all of this Mm -hmm. and that they never tested it. So I'm curious to see if they have that. It could be that they have, and I just don't have access to that document or it hasn't come up. Um, but it, I couldn't find it anywhere in any coroner's reports, um, about anything about that. It seems to me that a conclusion was reached very fast and there should have been a lot of other avenues to look into before charging Roy. Uh, really the only thing that they have against Roy is that he loved her. He caught her having dinner with another man. Although, like you said, he's used to already sharing her with someone. Um, and he's the one that found her and called 911. So the only physical evidence was blood splatter analysis. And some of which came from photographs and that's really all there is against Roy. (laughs) Um, also, Roy's mom um, also made statements stating that like a few 
I, I think she said like a week prior to the murder, she saw them together and they were happy. They mm. were holding hands. Um, and then a few days prior to the murder, she like even took a picture of them together and <laughs> said that they still looked happy together. Mm-hmm. Um, the niece, Heather, had said that um, not too long prior, she was hanging out at her house. They were mm. holding hands on the couch. Like they seemed like they were still fine. Even Very, she and says and together. Were, and together, yeah, yeah. She was definitely still acting like she was with him even if she said that she wasn't um but he did look like he he definitely adored her i also want to throw in that there is more to the case like you said um that i'm not allowed to say right now i wish i could but uh it's under wraps for the moment there are potentially new developments and i will say it definitely could change the trajectory of things mm-hmm. um so as more information becomes available that we are allowed to say i promise to keep our listeners updated So I spent a lot of time emailing back and forth with Roy's niece, Heather, um, but I also had the pleasure of having a conversation with her over the phone. So here is a little clip from that phone call. Hi, Heather. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, um, talking with me. You are, are you in Illinois right now? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to start off by asking if you can kind of tell us a little bit about uh, Michael David Roy. Uh, David is a big kid at heart. He's very fun-loving, um, very energetic, um, always had positive experiences with him. Um, I can't remember a single negative experience growing up with him. Mm. And he is your uncle? Okay. And if people want to help out in the case, how can they do so? So we have an Instagram page. Um, it's Free Michael David Roy. Um, and we have a Facebook page. Um, it's Free David Roy. We usually call him by his middle name. Um, and from there, we have a petition that people can sign. Um, we have shirts that people can order. Um, and we're still working on some fundraising Okay, great. Um, so where are you on the case now? Where are we? What's up-to-date stuff going on that you're allowed to so, say? Right now we have had um, several leads and tips come in. Um, we are following through with them. We actually have somebody working on the sidelines that's investigating. Um, and then right now we're sorting through a lot of the stuff that the police did not follow through with and we're getting really really close to figuring out what actually happened the morning that Casey died but that's that's where we're at right now okay um and I'm not sure how much you're allowed to say about this but um there may be another person of interest yes uh we have actually followed through on some of the investigation from the police and found somebody that was very close to Casey um that we believe is actually responsible, but we're still working on proving that. Um, and that's all about you can say right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. All right. Is there anything else that you want us to know before we wrap up? I just want to thank everybody that is supporting the cause and supporting David and has never given up on him. It means a lot to our family and to him and, we're determined to figure this out. Okay. 
And you're okay with us including um, this segment in the podcast episode? Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciate it. Um, Keep us updated on everything, and I'll hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. So that's Michael David Roy's case. If you have come to the conclusion that he's wrongfully convicted, then you can help out by visiting his Instagram or Facebook page, Free Michael David Roy. And Roy is spelled R-O-Y-E. His change.org petition can be found on there as well. Um, If you go to his Facebook page, you are also able to order shirts um, and the money goes back to helping out with his investigation and defense team. So it honestly took a lot of work piecing together all the reports and the testimonies, and I can't imagine what it feels like for the families of people who are wrongfully convicted and the work that it takes to gather all the documents and information, and then reaching out to people just trying to um, get their story heard. Mm -hmm. So I commend Heather for everything that she's doing, um, but really just all the families that have been behind all these wrongfully convicted people and everything that they have to go through as well. I mean, we talk about the wrongfully convicted person person, mm-hmm. um, but they have a whole team of family and friends and support that are in it just as much as they are. Yeah. And like I said, I will keep the listeners updated on what happens with the case as it becomes available and um, that I'm allowed to speak on. So thank you again, Heather, for reaching out to us. Yeah, thank you, Heather. And listeners, let us know what you think. Please reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook or email. Everything is under Unjustly Podcast. Um, we want to hear your thoughts on it as well. If there's something that you caught that seems a little odd or that you think makes more sense, let us know. We want to hear it. That and you never know if it could be helpful for Heather too and the team to just have new perspectives and, you know, a -hmm. fresh look on the case. Yeah, I like that. You never know. I might have just solved the whole thing with my period blood. I think you did. It's like, Mm -hmm. Maybe there's someone out there smarter than I am who (laughs) sees other things. But no, in all seriousness, like you never know. With cold cases, especially, you Mm -hmm. see um, that they they like to have new people take a look at the cases because it brings in new perspectives and a fresh look, a fresh set of eyes. So this is kind of the same, you know, like you've had the same group of people looking over it. And so you never know if someone looking in might mm-hmm. have a, a different view of things mm-hmm. or might pick up on things that we haven't, they haven't picked up on. Yeah, true. Be the investigator with us, please. So now we have our Amplify Corner and I wanted to amplify this artist and poet um, who I've been in conversation with and I actually uh, got in touch with her um, over the Free Ray Gray case. Mm. Okay. So she had sketched a really nice drawing of Ray Gray um, and then Seeking Justice posted on their site. And I ended up posting it on one of our stories on Instagram. Um, So when I looked onto her page, I saw that she's a huge advocate for the wrongfully convicted. Mm. Um, she's done a ton of different sketches of people that are currently, um, claiming that they're wrongfully convicted and that they're trying to, um, get their story out more. And so she's dedicated some of her talent to that. Um, she is an army veteran who served in Iraq 
she has a close friend who she believes is wrongfully convicted right now. Mm -hmm. And so that's what kind of got her started on this trajectory of, um, advocating for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she, like I said, she's used her talent to bring awareness to issues such as the wrongfully convicted prison reform, and also issues within the military. Like I said, she's an army veteran Mm -hmm. and on her, um, webpage, she goes into detail about like a lot of the things that she's experienced while in the military as a woman, especially. Um, and it's a lot, it's pretty heavy. So viewer discretion (laughs) for anyone going on her page and on her website. Um, but I think it's really important, um, things that, that everyone needs to hear. And so a lot of her artwork is either geared towards the wrongfully convicted or has like a heavy, um, military sense to it as well. Um, so her Instagram is called, Art of Egodram, and I asked her how to pronounce it, so I, I hope I said it correctly. Um, and it's art underscore of of underscore Egodram, which is E G O D R A M. So visit her Instagram page. Um, she has a lot of information about prison reform on there um, and about the advocacy that um, she's done with her artwork for the wrongfully convicted. And like I said, Seeking Justice um, posts about her all the time. She also like created this little thing for the wrongful conviction day that just passed. Mm-hmm a few days ago. Um, and she has a web page as well that you can access through her Instagram page and you can see, um, her artwork projects that she's done with that. But I highly recommend that you read her about me. Um, so you can learn more about certain issues that she's really pushing for right now. So we love having people in the community that are using their talents for this. Um, like I said, for the free Ray gray case, there is a, a huge art community that was pushing, um, for his release and for, um, his story to get out there because he was an artist. So unfortunately not everyone is an artist, but, um, she's still kind of pushing for that, um, reform for everyone else. Very nice. Yeah. So that's a little bit about Jennifer and the artwork that she's been doing and the help that she's been um, doing for the community, for the prison reform, and um, visit her Instagram and her webpage. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, guys. Hope Don't you enjoyed Sandy's new um, Innocent or Guilty, Innocent or guilty edition, edition <laughs> episode. So thank you all. Um, Make sure that you are subscribing. Um, Please rate and review. It's so helpful when you do that. And it makes us so happy to see it as well. Um, Next week, Steph is doing a really good one that you don't want to miss. Do you want to say what it is or is it a surprise? No, it's not a surprise. But um, (laughs) I'll just be talking about the recent allegations that came out over the ice forced um, hysterectomies that Mm -hmm. have been potentially going on in Georgia. Um, but also since that just came out, um, more about just like immigration ice and, um, a case from the seventies that happened in LA, uh, where a group of women were going into the LA County hospital to give birth and mm-hmm. were leaving with, um, having been sterilized. Wow. So yeah, it's a heavy be, one. It'll be interesting. It'll be so tune in next week. Tune in. So Steph wanted to add something you did. She, <laughs> Whoa. I'm the one that adds everything. And the other day, Steph was like, uh, I think we should add some of our bloopers to the end of this, which I think is a great idea because a lot of the subjects that we talk about are really heavy subjects. So we can't joke around the way we usually do. <laughs> um, 
Steph and we I. Start, let's just say we started recording supposedly at 12 15, mm-hmm. but really we ended up talking about other things. So, like, let's just say one o'clock and it's three o'clock already. Yeah. So, like, those two hours weren't all just recording. It was us just like goofing around. Yeah. Or, like, I promise we're not this silly um, <laughs> so straightforward and talking about facts constantly. Um, so, it's definitely hard to showcase our personalities when we're talking about such heavy subjects and we don't want to be joking around the entire time because mm-hmm. we do understand. Um, that there's people involved, there's victims involved. There's a responsibility. Yeah, on our exactly. Hat, on our so end. people have asked, um, you know, you and Steph joke around so much. How come you don't do it in the podcast? Well, that is why <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to make it seem like we're taking the cases lightly. So for your viewing pleasure or your hearing pleasure, your listening pleasure, <laughs> your listening pleasure, if you so choose to, we'll be adding some of the bloopers that we've been experiencing every single day that we do this podcast, and we'll add them at the very end. Mm-hmm. If you hate Stay bloopers, tuned. just don't listen. Turn it off. End it here. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> How come Mexican marshmallows taste so much different than American marshmallows? Do you Have you noticed that? And Roy is spelled R-O-W-E. What's wrong? Is it R-O-W-E, R-O-W-E or R-O-Y? What did I see? R-O-W-E. And she just said, what did I see? <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Are you pregnant again? No. Maybe because I didn't have lunch. Do you want chicken nuggets? You have chicken nuggets? I have like frozen chicken nuggets I can I heat up. I don't have any okay. type of chicken nuggets. I know. Okay. All right. I'll make this. I order us pizza. I also love pizza told police that she saw Morgan four days prior to the mor- mur- the murder. The murder. True that. <laughs> <laughs> if you want my commentary, do not respond like that. <laughs> On October 5th, 2007, Michael David Roy arrived at the home of his son. Oh, no. I <laughs> didn't say that. <laughs> what are you reading? I don't know. <laughs> are you... Hi. I had marshmallows from Mexico. (laughs) 